I think I take like a nervous system approach to my business. So understanding when I'm activated but calm and like using that time really wisely. Hey friends, we're at episode three of Sanasini and I've really been so excited to share this special conversation with you since it was recorded. My guest today is Rosie Jean. Most of us know her as a Melbourne-based yoga teacher, a student of psychology, and an inspiration for balance. I was particularly grateful to have this chat with Rosie as she is so wise and her presence never fails to bring me joy. We covered a range of topics from how her business came about, the process behind the design of her classes, to some of our own personal reflections on looking after ourselves. My name is Diletta Lagoa, and you're listening to the Sana Sini podcast. When was that, Rosie, when you actually interviewed me for I Live in Balance? Yeah, wow, it feels like such a different time. It would have been three years ago. I wasn't a teacher yet, I don't think. Right. <laughs> it's been so awesome seeing it, seeing the... What do you call, is it a, would you call it a business or a project or? Yeah, I think I would call it a business now. Hell yeah. It used to be kind of, yeah, I think it was a creative kind of passion project and it's really transformed into my own business that I back and call it a business now. That's so good. And it's been really awesome seeing it grow together with you in your own journey. I'm curious, how did, how did it all start actually, but three years ago Mm. yeah so the idea came to me during the night when I was having sleep insomnia (laughs) Um, it just came to my mind um, of creating this thing I didn't know what it would be quite yet but it would be about health promotion and it would touch on psychology and it would touch on yoga and empowering people in their own mental health journey Mm. And, yeah, I had the idea of what it would be and that it would be this thing. And I remember trying to describe it to other people and they were like, oh, I don't really get it exactly what it is. But I think that's kind of allowed it to grow and change as I've grown and changed. And it's changed with all the different parts of my learning and my studies. Because I think when we met and I was interviewing you, that's when I Live in Balance was mainly about conversations about self-care so I was interviewing different people about how they take care of themselves and their own experience with mental health yeah that's that's really lovely and I think that experience of like explaining to people what you're trying to do and them not getting it is is really good for our own learning too um it's super cool that you've allowed it to also be informed by how your journey has unfolded over the years Uh, and now it's um, a business and you're also running a series called classes for the mind and I noticed you started this during COVID and it's been cool to see that grow as well and what I really love about your work is that your approach is so personal like it's really easy to feel like Um, you know, as a member of your community too, like we're connected with you and, you know, the way you speak to us is really, really friendly. (laughs) Yeah. 
Thanks so much for saying that. Well, you've, you've done such a great job at building it. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's funny you bring that up because the way I want it to feel is like you are catching up with a friend who is really invested in your mental health and cares about you. Yeah. And that you can just be yourself in my classes and you can be yourself in my workshops and that you can go down a path where you're exploring your own wisdom and your own knowledge in a space where you feel part of a community. I really, really feel that. And I think a lot of people would agree as well. Um, But how do you, I guess, how did you realize that, um, you know, that was going to be the way to go for you? Like, were there any specific inspirations for it? Mm. Yeah, I think I am very inspired by my own experience in the yoga community. So yoga was very transformative in my life and feeling and embodying just how much you can grow from being in a shared space and with teachers who are inspiring and are passionate, meeting other people who are aligned with your values. I think those experiences are so embodied in my own journey that I want to create a similar feeling to that, but drawing upon my own knowledge and yogic philosophy and what I am learning about the mind. So I think it's in part experiential and then in the other part has that science backing and has that philosophy backing to bring it all together. Yeah, I really love the way you articulated that. And it reminds me of like when I was just hanging out at Power Living, which is where we met, you know, years ago. And I remember how well the yoga teachers there facilitated that experience. And Mm. it feels so far away now that we're all in isolation. But um, I'm really grateful for how you facilitated that through classes for the mind. And what are your goals with, um, you know, the, the students who are, you know, currently maybe feeling similar to me, quite isolated or um, not able to access the things that we usually have access to? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's been a whole reimagining during COVID. I think, you know, we've spoken about this before, um, having an acceptance of the moment Mm. and acceptance of life as it is. So not being in a space of, oh, all this bad stuff just keeps happening like, yes, acknowledging the bad stuff that's happening and validating that and the way that it's making us feel. But going, what are my options now and what's possible here? You know, where can I find spaces of connection and what can this allow for me here rather than just sinking into that whole, you know, depths of, oh, this is what I used to have and this is what I'm waiting for on the other side. It's like, okay, this is quite a defining time in our lives and can we sit with it? Can we sit with the discomfort? Mm-hmm. And can we see what beauty is still here? Mm-hmm. You know, I think I'll always remember the students and the people that have been involved in Classes for the Mind. I think we've been through a lot together this year and I have so mm-hmm. much admiration for them and the compassion that they bring to these spaces. Yeah, I really like that um, with what you were saying about sitting in the moment and just being here and then doing what we can with it. It reflects some of um, like 
my own experiences with meditation as well in like the internal scale. Um, And you've taken that to the community level, which is really nice. Mm. Um, Maybe for the benefit of our listeners who aren't super Mm. familiar yet with classes for the mind or I live in balance. Could you tell us a little bit about the sort of classes you've been hosting and the sort of gatherings? I realized we should probably should have touched on this earlier, (laughs) but that's all right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, of course, of course. So it's been a passion project from the very beginning of COVID. Um, Pretty quickly when I realised that I would not have a job as a yoga teacher. Uh, I had originally taken this whole year off study. So I'm in between my honours in psychology and I'm applying for my master's of clinical psychology at the moment. But I'd taken this year off because I was like, I want to teach yoga for a full year and I want to run events through I Live in Balance and just dive into that and give it a real hot go. And then COVID happened. (laughs) And then I was like, maybe that wasn't the best decision. (laughs) But here we are and, you know, what can I do? You know, having the subsidies from the government, being on JobKeeper... I felt like I was in a really unique situation where I had a safety net. So I kind of thought of that money that I was getting for COVID as kind of like being part of a startup program and going, here is money. What would you like to do with it and see what happens? I love that. Yeah. I was like, if this fails, then it just fails and that's okay. And I'll just Mm -hmm. see what's next. So I thought while I'm in this very unique position and I know that helping people gives me purpose what can I do to take this online so I started to create weekly classes and um, touching on the areas that I felt most comfortable with like I did not feel comfortable teaching yoga online that just freaked me out (laughs) the idea of you know, Mm. being observed in my body while I was online and teaching just felt way too much. So I started off teaching relaxation and teaching meditation um, Mm. classes Monday to Friday pre-recorded and they kind of met what I felt people might need. So one of the classes was called Being with Feelings and that was all about just, yeah, observing how you feel and acknowledging that validating what you're going through and seeing how you can show yourself care. Quick side note, before um, the session, recording the session, I was actually listening to one of your Being With Feelings meditations just to ground myself after a long day of work. And how do you feel? (laughs) Well, I I acknowledge that I still have this like residual jitter from a very busy day, Mm. but okay with that. Yeah. And in addition, in addition to being with feelings, there are also a few um, intention settings and more interactive classes you've been hosting as well, right? Yeah, definitely. I'd say one of the, the values that underlines um, classes for the mind is intentional living. So connecting mm-hmm. with purpose, connecting with your core values, and then reminding yourself of that. It's like what we know about motivation is that if we are connected to our purpose and our why, then we feel like moving forward and we feel like there's hope. So 
At the beginning of isolation, I was running weekly intention setting practices, which were pre-recorded. And I was also running monthly intention setting workshops, which were live on Zoom and have been the most beautiful way to connect, like being in a space where everyone is journaling and meditating together and visualizing the month ahead and what it could be, even in lockdown. Yeah, that's been an invaluable experience and I think has really brought community together throughout this time. Yeah, I I really admire your leadership in being able to facilitate that for others. And I want to ask you a little bit about your process behind how you design these experiences. But before I do that, I I think I might go a little bit off script and ask you a question that popped in my mind. Um, Because seeing this whole thing of classes for the mind and how it combines your expertise of being a yoga teacher, a student of psychology, an advocate for wellness and healthy living, health at every size. And also, I think you studied design as well once. And I can see that come through in um, the content that you put out. How did, how did these dots sort of connect with you, uh, connect for you? And I'm just curious about like the background of it all and how this journey um, eventually, I guess, started to come together? Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good question, Deeds. Um, It's very perceptive of my (laughs) my whole journey. Um, Yeah. Every part of my adulthood and yet my childhood too Mm. has shaped what I'm doing now. Everything has layered in the process. I used to think that I wasted my design degree. So I, I studied design at COFA Um, at UNSW when I was 18 for a few years but I was really struggling with my mental health and I decided to drop out and then I took quite a few years off um, Mm. really to prioritize my mental health I was like I just need to focus on this right now Mm. and there'll be more time for me to do study and do work and figure out what I want to do with my life but for now I need to take care of myself. When I was studying design, I would create all of my design concepts about the mind. So there was always that fascination and there was always that passion underneath. I just didn't see it yet. Mm. So I was creating, I think I would create um, 3D sculptures of the brain and Mm. um, artworks that were all about emotion and feeling so there was always that interest there and it felt like a logical step when I did decide to study psychology and transition into that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess when I started studying psychology, I also started practising yoga. Mm-hmm. And while I was studying the mind and I was studying science, I was feeling this real gap in um, the mind-body connection while I was learning yoga and I was feeling the impact of movement and the impact of breath and the impact of being in community, how much that was changing my mental health, it just felt missing in the studies I was doing. Mm -hmm. So as I was learning yoga and eventually became a teacher alongside studying that more academic Mm -hmm. side of psychology, it's just come together in this really valuable way. And now creating my own business, the design has just come back in and I've gone, oh, right, 
those skills were not lost. I don't think I'd be able to do my own marketing and building my own story online if it weren't for that background. It's actually such an advantage to have design skills. Um, But I really love that. It's like, it's almost cliche to say, but there are some things that happen in life that that just like make sense with all the things in your past connecting together. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I've been... I've been so privileged to be able to study not one but two courses mm-hmm. and a yoga teacher training. I mean, yeah, I I think it's important to point out that I've always had a safety net mm-hmm. and I don't know if I would have taken the risks that I've taken in my career if it weren't for that safety net and that support of my family. Yeah, for sure. And thank you for, you know, acknowledging that because obviously we recognize it's not always the case for everyone. Um, I also want to shout out to your younger self for like um, having the courage to be like, okay, I'm not going to continue this particular field of study so I can focus on my mental health. Cause that would have been, I imagine not an easy decision to make, but also such an important one because we see too often, you know, um, people trying to, push through but they're not looking after themselves and it gets really really tough yeah yeah absolutely and I think when we see people around us making those decisions it makes it okay for us to do that too yeah no I always I think about baby Rosie and I'm proud of her and I think of how she would see me now and be like oh you made it Mm. you got through (laughs) what was um helpful in the mental health journey of baby Rosie who were you doing yoga yet then or no I had quite a disconnection from my body during that time Mm -hmm. and I think I just I didn't have the friendships and the connection that I have now and so in the time I took off from studying you know literally taking a year to go traveling and just focus on yeah meeting people who saw me as I was Mm -hmm. Mm. I think that can be such a um important thing to do to like reset yourself and sometimes you need that different perspective from new people to to aid in that kind of experience yeah Mm. what was helpful for me reflecting on my younger self I always did yoga never super seriously oh wow um but thankfully because my mom practiced yoga as well so since I was about 13 we were going together and I studied painting so even though I was really really angry as a teenager I had that like very a very reflective solitary practice to like help myself make sense of weird things that were just going on in my mind (laughs) I really um I mean I keep tabs on what you're doing deeds and I like I just really (laughs) like I guess we haven't seen each other in real life in a very long time but I feel aware of what's going on in your life and um I can see the connection you have with your family and the connection you have with your partner and yeah it's just really beautiful to see oh thank you I I love this little friendship that we have as well because it feels like we've both been Yeah, kind of just growing together in the last three years and discovering things at a similar pace. Mm. It's been nice. Totally. All right, I'm going to go back to asking you about um, teaching now. Um, You were talking about 
the connection to body earlier. And I really resonate with that. I think that's super important, the connection between my mental health and my physical health. And that's why yoga is really important for me as well. Um, but in designing a yoga practice and a, a class, I imagine, well, I, I can't imagine actually what, what that would be like because you're, you're facilitating space and then you know, you also, I'm imagining you must have that sense of awareness of what that experience will be like for, for the person undertaking the class. What, what does the process look like for you? Yeah. Gosh, there's so much you can sit, can consider in creating a yoga class. Mm. Cause you're like, you have your idea of what your, like the message you're trying to get across and what kind of feeling you may like to create. And then you're also meeting what everyone else is bringing to the space or bringing to the room. There's so many variables. <laughs> yeah. It's like we only, we have some control, but we don't have complete control. Mm -hmm. um, so as much as I create a plan, there's also getting used to flexibility and getting used to adapting what you've got in mind. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're asking about uh, the pre-recorded classes that I create, then yeah, I mean, I visualize a lot. Um, if I'm teaching a meditation, then I'm visualizing that as I'm going, as I'm teaching. And my inspiration really comes from yogic philosophy and from psychology. Mm -hmm. um, but I like to teach from a place of what I'm experiencing and mm -hmm. teaching only what I know and what I've embodied. Mm -hmm. And I guess that inspiration can come from anywhere, like going on a walk or spending time with a friend and the feeling that that brings. Yeah, for sure. And I can really sense your connection with, I mean, you say it's what you know, but I'm also aware that like the, the people who gravitate towards your community are also, I guess, people similar to you. And that's a, I think it's important to have that level of like connectedness and understanding with the people you want to serve and support and, you know, working with a lot of startups at work, I'm aware of how many hours of research people can try spending to understand um, their audience or their users because they don't have that natural connection and understanding. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's all about relationship building, and when you think about any relationship, that takes time and that takes exposure over a long period of time. Like people that we've seen around mm -hmm. over a long period of time, like people that you may have seen in the streets of Melbourne, mm -hmm. um, you can like build a sense of trust towards them yeah. or you may like like them more just because you've seen them. Mm -hmm. So on social media, like that's an opportunity for us to build a story over time where you're getting like little droplets, little bits of getting to fall and then maybe dropping into a class one time and then dropping into a workshop another time. Like there's all these little moments of building that relationship. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't come out of nowhere. You're not like all in 100% right now. We are in this. Yeah. Like that would be kind of freaky and that would be too much. <laughs> So for sure. It's like, who is this person? Yeah. <laughs> and I like that you mentioned about like, you know, the observations that you might make of people on the street. And I really miss that now because we have like such little visibility of 
each other or people that we relate to. Sometimes I'll go to the shops and like see someone who I don't know is wearing something cool that I like, and I'm just like, I get you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm tempted to go on a little um, segue because what you said reminded me of um, a cool story that I read in a book, if that's okay. Yeah, Um, please segue. There's a, he's a, I think, digital strategist or like creative strategist in New York. His name is Michael Ventura. And I heard him speak at a design conference earlier this year. And he was talking about like empathy and the importance of empathy in business and design and he got um, mm. he got a project from I can't remember the name of the company. Oh, GE, um, which is General Electronics, if I'm not mistaken. Um, okay. And he got this task to re rework their um, mammogram machine marketing, and because I I don't know what the backstory mm. was, but. Um, apparently the company wasn't happy with um, the way their mammograms were performing. And so he conducted this like research study Mm -hmm. and he went to where women were hanging out. So he went to set up a booth at a shopping center and he made sure that the booth was super comfortable and that, you know, the, the people working in the booth were really personable and they were really connecting with the women and they framed the interviews more as, conversations to get to know what their challenges were and they were asking you know why certain some women were choosing not Mm -hmm. to go get mammograms and the reason was because the rooms are always really cold the experience is really scary and it's really uncomfortable Mm -hmm. um and then so he asked the engineers like why are the rooms so cold and then they're like oh it's optimal for the machines Mm -hmm. and they're like okay well Optimal mm-hmm. for the machines, but really difficult for the women going through this already scary experience. Yeah. Um, what would happen if we made it a couple of degrees warmer? And they're like, oh, we think it'll be fine for the machines, I guess. Uh-huh. And then so they did that. And when they reimagined this experience of mammograms for women and made the room much warmer and mm-hmm. gave them like more comfortable gowns to wear, it actually increased the detection of cancer. Um from the wow. like a series of studies that they did with the new experience. Um, and that's insane. Just like by spending the time Huge. to understand better um, what the experience of the women was like, yeah. you know, they were able to make the machines more effective too. Gosh, well, it's so true. Like how do we create spaces where people feel safe and feel seen and that, that changes mm-hmm. the way people approach their health, like help-seeking mm-hmm. behavior when you feel connected to other people and you feel like you've got options mm-hmm. yeah. gosh yeah. what an interesting study yeah it's fascinating anyway that's my ramble <laughs> I love it I'll go back now to um I wanted to ask you we were talking about the process of how you design your classes and you know I'm conscious that you you also recently started a part-time role at eating disorders mm-hmm. Victoria so congratulations Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm, I'm so excited about starting this new job. Yeah. Um, I imagine your weeks must be pretty busy now because you've got classes that you're releasing, is it five days a week? Um, four days a week pre-recorded content and then two live classes. Mm-hmm. And then I'm also teaching mm-hmm. still with Kindred Movement. Okay. so <laughs> Quite a lot. <laughs> it is. And, you know, you're a source of support and grounding for your students how do you look after yourself 
it's really, it's essential to what I do. Um, I, I did a big rethink before I started this new job about what my boundaries were around work and how, yeah, how much emotional capacity I had to teach. Um, I think being past the initial creating phase and development of classes for the mind, like that took so much time. That was a full-time job completely behind the scenes And now that that is finished, it is quite refined and I can be in this comfortable, lovely space where I know what I'm doing and I can just keep refining over time. But the production process is so much smaller. So now I have time to, yeah, make sure I'm taking care of myself at the same time and having the times where I'm on and then the times where I'm off days that are I live in balance and the days that are eating disorders Victoria Mm. and the days are that are Rosie leisure yeah I really like that you have that actually in your email signature that's something I need to do better myself Mm. separation of spaces and activities yeah I've seen a few really good email signatures lately saying things like I'm honoring rest and I may not get back to you for 48 hours Mm. inspiring yeah um I do want to touch on just in terms of uh, taking care of myself. I think I take like a nervous system approach to my business. So understanding when I'm activated but calm and like using that time really wisely. Like noticing when I'm feeling really creative and leaning into that to be like, cool, I'm going to use this creative energy to make an amazing class right now. Like other times when I'm feeling underactivated and low, going, okay, I'm going to do some really shallow work, like sorting my emails, getting ready for the week. Um, When I'm overactivated, touching into the practices that I'm teaching, so coming back into my self-holding and my breathing and Mm. seeing how I can bring myself back to a place that's more centred so I can stay focused. And like knowing when it's time to call it and go, I'm not going to get anything productive done today. And why is there this pressure on me that I should be doing all the time? You know, maybe that's more of a cultural thing than the need to actually still be working past that point. Yeah, for sure. And that's probably been a really big learning for me, especially during lockdown, that calling it when like the day is done and like you're you're really not going to get much more done at this point um it's so hard to let go sometimes yeah and I mean you're you look like you're in such a leadership role where you are too that yeah you do have to be quite proactive I learned a lot through you Rosie though (laughs) the I like this approach that you're um you're talking about and I'm looking forward to re-listen to this actually and reflect on how um, I could consider it in my life because I think I do ask a lot of myself and I'm quite happy sharing this, you know, in the podcast publicly as well because it may look like, you know, on the outside that I do so much with my work at Deacon and Global Shapers and Sanasini, but it does take a toll. So it's good to have these chats (laughs) And I echo that deeds like I'm a total perfectionist and a lot of my self-care is, you know, reminding myself that it's okay 
to be enough as I am and to switch off, to pause. <laughs> mm, absolutely. Thank you for being so honest and generous sharing with our community. I'm currently working, you know, I mentioned earlier, Deacon um, in an entrepreneurship program. So uh, we've got a lot of hustlers and founders. It's it's actually really cool to, to learn from. I usually liken my experience at Spark Deacon to like a free MBA because I just get to learn from the experiences of so many other entrepreneurs. But with Sanasini, I um, made the conscious decision to take it slow and use this as a channel to deeply reflect on my creative output and what I want to bring to the world. So in a similar way um, that I live in balance has, I guess, connected some dots in your life. Sanasini has felt like that for me, especially because I've been wanting to do something between Australia and Indonesia for a really, for a really long time. Um, but I think finding that balance isn't always easy between um, that, I guess, entrepreneur-esque mindset of wanting to get something out really fast. And then the, you know, per perfectionist or, well, perfectionist is negative. Maybe um, like the, the creative reflective vantage point that wants to create work that's rewarding and purposeful. How do you think people can achieve this sort of balance yeah I mean I do think that there's no rules and people do it in different ways I mean when I look back at my own path and the way that I live in balance has grown you know there have been times when I have worked intensely and had this yet overpowering drive and that has been advantageous for some parts. And then there's been other times where I felt really balanced and had this sense of sustainable action. Um, I don't think either are good or bad. It's just, you know, we learn from each experience that we have and we get to know our own style of creativity and how, you know, what feels right for us in the long term because yeah if we want to do this for our lives then can we do it for our lives is it sustainable is it making an impact on the people around us and you know I think that comes down to is it is it ethical and does it make us feel well does it make us feel connected to purpose but yeah I don't think there's a right or wrong route oh no your, your computer is frozen <laughs> Oh. <laughs> so you know how at the start of the conversation I said that I had a busy day so did my computer and finally nearly an hour into the recording session with Rosie it gave up on me I thought to myself how aptly timed for this to happen during a conversation about self-care and balance my computer reminded me that it too had exceeded the number of healthy hours of use or work um, we continued the final minutes of the conversation on another call, but there wasn't any voice recording captured on my end, so I've re-recorded my final questions and comments for this episode. In the first lockdown, I was teaching a relaxation session um, to some staff at RMIT, and towards the end of the relaxation, my 
entire blinds fell down and made this huge crashing sound. Um, <laughs> it was just like everyone was in such a soft moment and it was so, so loud and just, yeah. I really felt that with tech problems. Like I'll be like, oh, like my phone has run out of battery. And then I'm like, well, you've been using your phone constantly or like you've been recording for too long like it's time to take a break I really valued the richness and depth of this conversation especially getting to better understand the work that goes behind creating classes for Rosie the amount of love thought and consideration that she puts into it is really felt I asked Rosie to comment on the practice of meditation and its role in her classes for the mind and I requested her to, as she elaborates, to consider that potentially this is a practice totally foreign to some of us listening. Yeah, totally. Um, can I also take this opportunity to say what classes are the mi- classes for the mind are a bit more clearly? Sometimes I find it hard to describe what I'm doing online, but I'll try to describe it a bit better here. Um, <laughs> so been sharing a balance of movement and meditation practices so the balance kind of follows through a week so it starts with um, psychology and philosophy which is either a conversational chat about psychology or traditional yogic philosophy to kind of add that depth and inspiration at the beginning of the week and then on Tuesdays we do a movement practice so usually a slow flow with some music And then Wednesdays and Thursdays go from a meditation practice to a relaxation practice. So there is quite a flow to each week. And I've designed that kind of to match our nervous system and the way we might move through a week while still allowing people the flexibility to go back to the library and choose past classes that sit with them and suit their needs in the moment. And then, yeah, to answer your question about the meditation the meditation does set apart what I'm doing online I feel and I think it's really important you know in western culture the aesthetics of yoga and the physical practice has been overemphasized so coming back to how yoga shows up in being a human being and being a kind human being you know doing the work on ourselves and then taking that out into the world and how we treat the people around us and how we respect the land that we're on. Like, I think that meditation gives us that space to inquire within and to ground ourselves and to be in a space where we're actually actively being involved in our own process and our own journey. You know, the ability to grow our self-awareness is such a strength of meditation that I see pop up in psychology and what I learn in my studies about helping people build self-awareness. And I'm like, oh, well, meditation. Meditation is this chance where it doesn't have to be an hour every morning. It's like, where is there a moment in your day where you can be completely present with yourself, where you can just come into your breath, have a point of focus, Like, it really can be so many different ways. I feel like I've gone off on, like, ten different tangents here, Deeds. (laughs) 
I disagreed that Rosie went on a tangent here. I, I really valued her bringing us back to the essence of yoga, despite some of that Western perception that she mentions focuses a lot on the aesthetics. To continue on her description about meditation and presence of the self, I gave an example from my own life. Often, I find myself in these loops that go on for days or weeks where the work is just non-stop and I'm kind of like a headless chicken running about or a pixel-pushing machine. Even in these periods, though, when I can take five minutes, hell, even one minute, to observe what's happening and observe my condition and not be fully consumed by that loop, to me, that's a meditation practice and to me, the ability to do that is a massive win. Yeah, I think you bring up such a good point because, you know, meditation is just meeting the moment exactly as it is. So you could be in a moment of pain and you're like, I'm in a moment of pain. Can I meet that pain? There's no judgment. You're just like, this is part of my human experience. This is where I am right now. I'm going to be present with that even if it's just for a moment. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's funny the, you know, working really long hours and feeling like you don't have time for meditation, but I think a lot of people who have a meditation practice would say that it creates more space. I mentioned to Rosie here that I value the length of her offerings as they don't impose a big time commitment. Yeah, all of my offerings are really short. Um, and I think that's a reaction to my own experience being online and doing classes too, like being on Zoom and having so much screen time, it takes a different energy out of us. Um, so, yeah, do you feel like, like maybe this is just me, but being in isolation and doing practices at home has been an opportunity to empower our own movement and meditation like what it might look like outside of a studio rather than depending on going into physical spaces to practice I agreed totally with Rosie it made me remember a period of my life when I lived 300 meters away from my yoga studio and so I went nearly every day or at least four days a week and I was jacked on yoga and feeling really fit but when I missed out on the routine I had immediate withdrawal symptoms when I'd go on week-long trips to visit my family in Canberra, I'd get really agitated. So I became dependent on the practice, which wasn't healthy for me. So having a home practice now means that I am more resilient and self-sufficient. Yeah, I feel like in the future, it'll be like going to a studio is the top-up and like feeling that connection in person with the people in the room and your teacher... Like, I can't wait to go back to my teacher, Nina, of Alpha's class in the future. Um, but then having that, you know, practising at home and practising with your teachers online, like, it'll change the space forever and be a balance of our own practice with our teachers. I joked here that I'd still hit up a studio in a heartbeat because you can't really replicate that feeling of being mat to mat with one another and have your neighbours sweat dripping all over you. Yeah, I know. Gosh, that's like another world. I can't believe it. It seems so freaky. Yeah. And now we're like one and a half meters apart, please. And thank you. I know. I really miss um, 
I really miss the entry, like as a teacher, individual people coming up um, to sign in and the little chats that happen at the beginning. It's like you get to know people over such a long period of time from those little initial reactions, sorry, interactions that you have with people. So hopefully soon we'll all be able to gather sharing space, movement and energy once again. In the meantime, I've been so grateful for all the learnings lockdown has taught me and the space it has facilitated for me to be able to have conversations like this one and share them with you too. I thanked Rosie for the really enjoyable chat and asked her to close the conversation with some more information about her and to introduce a little gift we worked on together for friends and listeners of Sanasini. So Sanasini and I and young Marco are collaborating on a meditation to boost creativity. And this will be a sensory meditation incorporating visualization. And yeah, I'm really excited to share that with you. Um, and if you'd like to connect, then you can find me on Instagram at I Live in Balance or Rosie Jean. We'll be posting the meditation separately to this podcast so you can enjoy it whenever you want. A quick backstory, when starting Sanasini, we received permission from young Marco to use any song from his album Bahasa, which means language in Indonesian. You might recognize the name from the end credits of our show, where we credit the use of the song Kalapa Garden, which you hear at the beginning and end of the podcast. We selected the song The Beginning and End as the accompanying track to the meditation that Rosie's made, and her care and consideration into the creation has allowed me to experience the song and its colors in an incredibly beautiful new way. Rosie's introduced it perfectly well, so I don't want to say too much more about the meditation other than the fact that it has blown my mind. I did it as I was hitting my afternoon slump the other day and it gave me new life. So I'll say no more. I hope you enjoy. The Sanasini podcast is recorded in Narm. In the languages of the Bonwarong and Waiwarong Wurundjeri peoples of the Kulin Nation, Narm is the name of the area we now call Melbourne. We acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognize their continuing connection to land, waters, and culture. We also recognize the wisdom of our ancestors across the ocean, di Tanah Air, di Indonesia. The music you hear in the beginning and end of our show is the song Kalapa Garden from the album Bahasa by Young Marco. It features recordings of the Desa Babakan Gamelan Ensemble in Bali, Indonesia. Your friends at Sanasini are Alba Legowo, Prabu Legowo, Aren Budi Prabawa, and me, Dilata Legowo. We share many stories and some of the Sanasini process on Instagram, so we'd love to connect with you there. Thanks for joining us. Terima kasih.